Lloyd Morning and welcome to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. I'm Nathan and joining me today is Craig. Hello. And Susie. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I can't tell the difference. That was not a special effect. <laughs> Craig's this is a little bit special. This helium. But... <laughs> oh, isn't that good? Oh, dear. <laughs> Fortunately, it's not going to last that long. Anyway. Right, yes, here we are, back again. Unending source of humour. <laughs> uh, right, so first thing on the agenda is uh, feedback. We had some email, and we had some Facebook feedback as well, which I'm going to try and find in a second. Craig, do you want to? Oh well, we just the... had some. You had some um, good feedback from um, various people. One one comment we got was from a person by the name of Phil Tanner, who says he um, loved the section on asteroid mining. More of this random pub talk. So we will try and do some random yeah. pub talk. Was there any other feedback? Someone want to check the Facebook page, please, because I thought we had like loads of messages this week to talk about. Oh, we got the um... that, that it was a, a record. That was that. Um, congratulations to Nathan for getting it up so quickly. Oh, right, um, right. And was it borderline sarcastic? Because uh, no, no, gonna... no. I, well, I was impressed. Oh, that was you, was it? Um, that oh. was me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and then um, Lisa Taylor telling us we're a bit slow with meeting Tom Bins. Oh, right. Oh, he's we're all very impressed. Yeah. She was Lisa name dropping. Tom right. Tom yes. Yes. Okay. Congrats, you guys. Anyway, I feel like it felt like a lot of feedback anyway. So. <laughs> it was more than normal. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, everyone, for the feedback. It makes us feel special. For it. All right. Special so, anyway. Okay. Notice board. Be On the, the notice board. It says link to skeptical activism. <laughs> That's what it said last month. Oh, was it? Just that there are skeptical oh. activism. Ske- no, that was all wrong. Skeptical activists oh that just sounds all weird does it uh, you know how when you get that thing when a word yeah, suddenly yeah, doesn't sound like the right time. word yeah, but you normally have to say it a lot of times to get that I've obviously Skip been saying it lots you're, of unless you're mentally ill <gasps> oh I don't like what you're insinuating eh? um, oh forget that skip activism anyway, there is skeptical activism, activism going on um, yes meet up so carry on Yes. Great. How would they find out about that? They go to the New Zealand Skeptics Facebook page. They talk about it. No, they w- no, 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 no. They would come along to the meetup. Meet we up have our Skeptics in the pub meetup. Usually every month, Nathan. Oh, I don't that know sounds interesting. I, sh- I should go to that. Uh, yeah, they also have. But there's a yes. Another meetup for the skeptical, skeptical activism, and, and then there's a group uh, in Wellington who also do it. Yes. Right. Right. Okay. And the conference in November. Yes. <laughs> Remind me, as in well, it's in Christchurch. Christchurch, Christchurch, twentieth to the twenty second of November. Yeah. Okay, keep an eye out for that. There will be some very good speakers, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yep. So, uh, moving on to news, Supreme Court did something. I must have missed that one. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually sure. surprised because you it sounded like you might have known that something momentous happened over the last few days. I had no idea. I literally woke up in the but morning. But it was just all over Facebook. No, and the first thing I saw was um, Everybody's... Evan's post, Evan Bernstein, and he said, okay. based on what's happened, something, something else. And I thought, whoa, what's happened? And then I started <laughs> scrolling down my feed and it was just everywhere. <laughs> So, so uh, the, yeah. yes, so Susie, what tell has us happened, about what's the happened. Supreme Court has made same-sex marriage legal throughout the USA. So it was sort of done on a 
state by state basis, I guess. And now, yeah. or the, so the I guess Americans have rule. this weird thing where individual states can make their own laws that yeah. are completely different from the rest of the country. And so this, they have now said, this is the state of play. Yes. So now it has to be legal. Yeah. Just to clarify, I, I think specifically they've made it illegal to discriminate. Okay, I can't based on did. on marriage or something. No, they have they have made it so that con- if you get married if you're a same-sex couple and you get married in one state then all the states it's have to recognize that marriage right thank you right so it's i've got here it says the constitution requires all states to carry out and recognize marriages between people of the same sex right yeah um and, and why are so, we so excited about okay, that? well no no well it's, an it's a great it's a great thing but what in the lead up to the, this ruling, yes, there were lots of people, including uh, various evangelical Christians, like um, Rick Scarborough, who were suggesting that you know they were going to fight fight this. Um, he was suggesting that he and his followers were willing to set themselves on fire, apparently, in their fight against um, gay rights. Uh, so well, of course they... now we're all waiting for all of these Christians to set themselves on fire. Yes. Um, when the ruling came out, obviously not in their favour, he issued a statement clarifying that he wasn't going to set himself on, on fire. He that was never what he said, which is true. He didn't actually. He didn't say actually that. say that. Um, no. He was quoting a song, which meant where the bit where he was talking about fire meant that they would accept any sanction that the government uh, put on them for resisting the Supreme Court decision. Right. And he doesn't support any violence or physical harm, so they won't be setting fire to anybody else. Right. Yeah, but it's just been it's just been fun to see them all. Or talking about the state of, you know, how this is going to do horrendous things to um, the state of marriage and blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Well, I saw a very good page which talks about um, how the gay marriage ruling affects you. And so if you're a homosexual and are already married, if you've been lucky enough to live in a state that allowed gay marriage, the federal government already recognized your marriage as a thing and you were eligible for tax, health, pen- pension benefits under the federal law like any other married couple. Previously, if you had moved to another state that didn't recognize gay marriage, that state didn't have to recognize your marriage. Now your marriage is recognized everywhere, the same as anyone else's. And if you're a homosexual and want to get married, where before this came down to whether or not your state had legalized it, now you are free to do so regardless of which state you live in. And then it goes on to say, if you're a heterosexual and do not want to enter into a homosexual marriage, (laughs) you will not be required to marry a gay person. This is a common misunderstanding. (laughs) The decision does not actually affect you in any way. There was a couple as well that were going to get divorced. Do we know what happened to them? And and so basically it goes on all these different permutations. Basically, this decision does not affect you in any way, except for if you're a heterosexual who suffers anger or anxiety at the thought of gay couples getting married as an abstract concept and believes the only cure is to legally prevent gay marriage this decision will cause you some degree of anger or anxiety <laughs> otherwise the decision does not affect you in any way <laughs> nice yes. and uh, everyone's looking at Australia apparently because they yes. quite haven't caught up with everybody else they should catch up which is Somewhat surprising, you'd think, oh. given that everyone's sort of known. America's sort of known for its. There's there was also quite a funny thing and... going on on Twitter and Facebook with various Americans saying, "Oh, I'm going to leave," and yeah, some various saying, "I'm Good. going to Canada," and I'm going to Mexico, and I'm going to New Zealand. And you're like, nah. Right. Nope. Yeah. But yes, America, Australia should get on with it. 
But of course, they have Tony Abbott as Prime Minister, so that yeah. would be oh, a stumbling block. So Indeed. not anytime soon, then probably. Okay. Um, Craig, you know, tell us what the Ark Encounter is. Oh, this is um, Ken Ham's Ark. Well, yes. He's yes. making some so, progress, isn't he? Well, yeah, they, <laughs> they are actually making progress and building their Ark Encounter, which, unlike Noah, is not actually made out of completely out of wood. Um, a lot of concrete has gone into this and so on. Um, but uh, Ken Ham has actually put together a page called Answers for the Ark Scoffers. Oh, really? Oh, and great. so he has anticipated all of the um, the snarky and sceptical questions that us scoffers would be asking really? about the all Ark. Of them? Well, Can't quite a few of them. About that claim? Yes, talking about why they're using concrete and and all that sort of stuff, and aren't they using a whole lot of trees that would be leading to environmental destruction and so on? But the most amusing one is, but why are you using tools and cranes and other technology to build the ark? Noah yeah. didn't have such technology. So basically, he's uh, he's claiming that because in Noah's time people lived much longer. Uh, then um, they would have had time to invent all this fantastic technology and they could well have had cranes. What? What? They could have had cranes back then or some amazing technology that we don't I thought you just meant they'd got more time to spend to build it so they can take the time to build it up or something. Apparently, um, who knows what remarkable things were created by geniuses when Noah was building the Great Ark and with people living so long before the flood there would have been an incredible increase in knowledge. Imagine people like Alexander Graham Bell, Isaac Newton, Albert Einstein and others living for hundreds of years and what they may have achieved. So, um, yeah. But we don't find any evidence of this technology existing from uh, back when the Ark was supposedly built about four and a half thousand years ago. There's no evidence for the Ark. There's no evidence for any of it. That's kind of the point. <laughs> no. But, um, so, but it the is, point is, if you can make up the story in general, we could just make up whatever. You have. Yeah. Fucking yeah. hover boots and sure. You know. So so now that they're building this thing, it is absolutely huge. So that makes me wonder whether Christians themselves will actually be sceptical at the size of the thing that whether Noah could have actually built the thing. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's going to be so absolutely huge that it um, it's just unbelievable. It's um, that, that somebody back in those times could have actually created hmm. something. I'm, I'm a little sceptical about the claim that, um, so he caught the scoffers as, uh, that if Noah had cranes and stuff, we would find evidence of it, that we don't understand the destructive processes of the global flood, yes. which obliterated the pre-flood world. But still left all, these, left all the other stuff. Or left all things. the fossils yeah. of the animals that died yeah. in the flood. Okay. So it destroyed all the technology mm. so that left it got subducted else. under the mantle, apparently. But all of our fossils that we find are because of the flood. Right. That's typical of creationist arguments. One argument doesn't necessarily match up with another argument. <laughs> they have to be treated <laughs> on their own merits. It's not internally <sighs> consistent. Anyway, so uh, it'll be interesting to see it completed and hopefully fail. I thought yeah, they'd run I'm out of money, gonna... but have they... No, no they've um, apparently got $19.5 million to build it um, out of... 29 they need but i i think that um they just won't get the numbers of people going along to see it there's a, that was well, in the list that was in the list yeah, that was well, one of the claims yeah well i didn't actually read any of supposedly it. they've done the study and they reckon that 1.4 to 2.2 million per year will go to see it but huh. well how many millions unlikely. are there in the, the first US? year 
They could well, dig up that many questions. million people or something in the yeah. US. They could dig up that many questions to come and see it in the first year. Maybe, but it won't in be a couple of years. Thing. It'll be a wild hat. Yeah. Yep. There'll be a few people, just you know, the hardcore creationists, going and making their their pilgrimage every year yep. to support the place, um, and then hopefully they'll go into business. Mm. Anyway, yeah, hopefully they'll go right. down in flames. Well, not literally. Um, the Committee of the National Scottish Council does not endorse burning Kenham's Ark to death. Well, no. I'm given that it's mostly made of concrete. Oh yeah. Uh, well, no. The, well, the, the the foundations are, but the they, the actual ark structure itself is going to be made out of wood, though not go for wood because nobody knows what that actually is. Oh right. Oh. So oh. anyway, moving on. Okay. Um. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> I know, I know. Susie, oh, from the do as I say, <laughs> not as I do. <laughs> I just, we have to do this because it's. Just, I yes, know everyone will know yes, by then, fine. but it's kind of funny. Um, so, the one of the, I guess, what do you call spokespeople for abstinence? Um, Bristol Palin, Sarah she Palin, abs- abstaining she what? Abstaining from having sex. Oh right. Um, and actually, I saw a great little. Uh, so she's. So she's pregnant again. This is her second baby. Now, just to clarify, she's not married. Wedlock. Right. Yes. Um, and so she's announced it on her blog, calling it a huge disappointment for her friends, close, uh, her family and her fans. Uh, she was 18 when she got pregnant the first time around, when her mother was um, uh, the running mate of John McCain in his presidential election. John McCain, that's the guy. I was trying to remember campaign. him the other day. Um, and and so and actually it was thought to be a bit of a you know it was going to be a bad thing for Sarah Palin but you know it became a kind of family values and we're all going to stand by her and she's learnt so much she's going to marry the child's father she didn't which presumably she didn't no she didn't still be married. Um, and but she became a spokesperson for um, abstinence and um, for pro-life movements and there's been some estimates made that she must have made at least half a million dollars for the talks and public appearances that she did um, one of the charities that she was involved in is called Candy's Foundation and for at least one of the years, she was paid two hundred and sixty-two thousand dollars as her salary. What? Yeah. I hope the people that are funding these organisations are they're angry. Gonna, no, about they're going to stand by her. They're going to stand by like, her. No, I mean, like the her... average people that are oh. donating this money. Are yeah, it's hard to see someone so, that much. In full stop for starters. Yeah, this is an interesting charity. So they've the um, two thousand and nine, which is the year that they paid her that money. The um, their returns are online and it's kind of hard to see where the money came from so it looks like they might have several big donors uh, okay. but they had about two million in pledges and grants that year so they've paid her hmm. you know but it's all tax amount. deductible so it's it's probably just sort of some form of money laundering maybe, really i mean maybe. you can get rid of some of your income and get a tax deduction on it to right, okay. go and support these stupid causes so to put in perspective then so they had two millions in pledges and grants they paid her two hundred and sixty-two and a half thousand dollars, and that year they gave grants to actual teen pregnancy clinics for counseling and stuff thirty-five thousand dollars. oh my gosh <laughs> uh and there's a, there's a great little video that they've um, put together of her uh, this was for Candy's Foundation where um, some guy is basically offering her condoms and she's saying no thanks 
you can use those, but I'm not doing it at all. I'm abstaining because that's what works for me. Anyway, she's pregnant again. And, and just so for she's the asked for no nobody, she doesn't want any lecturers. She don't want anyone to yeah. lecture her, she doesn't want any anything. Of she doesn't. She just wants to be left alone she's... to have her other baby, her next baby. <laughs> and then go on the talking to um speaking tour again. Back hmm. on the well, maybe, so maybe, maybe she's part of the quiverful movement. <laughs> oh, no. Just oh, doing it slowly. No, so. that's horrible. Two kids and counting. Oh, that's horrible. Anyway, just, it's just to clarify, kind of, it's just the you know, it's just the hypocrisy of it of yeah. taking money and saying this is a solution, and of course it's not. And you know, just, I mean, clearly you're having sex. Do it safely, for goodness' sake. There, you know, this is what contraception is for. So, yes. do we know who the father is? Uh no. No, um, yeah, it's none of our business. But they, so she was well, due to get married. But, it, but if it's a different, if it's a different, different guy, oh, it's it definitely adds to a different guy. But um, it's and it might not be the man that she was due to marry. So her, she was due to marry quite recently, but the wedding has, was called off rather uh, suddenly. Huh? So who knows? Um, still, in the game, she's entitled to have sex with whoever whoever she likes. Yes, she should just and do have it babies safely. Or not have babies and not ideally she should and not be telling others and while being paid huge thing. amounts of money that you should abstain because that's the best way not to have babies yeah actually yeah. that's not what happens so yeah no definitely not Bristol Palin kind of sad um, okay so deep learning machine beats humans in IQ test there's no name next to that one who's in charge of that well, Craig? I think you actually emailed it through, Nathan, oh, but I? I have actually read the article, which oh, is possibly more than you have done. I haven't done anything today, I've been... So, yeah, so it is interesting um, that there is this new technology in AI called deep learning, uh, which essentially, as I understand it, uses the massive computing power of tons and tons of machines to... Um, form sort of knowledge about things based upon um, stuff it can get off the internet, and so it is. So there is this a machine that has come up with, well, this algorithm that has come up with um, relationships between words that involve reasoning, verbal reasoning, that basically scores better than humans would on an IQ test. So I think a couple of years ago, I remember seeing an article around how um, they did this analysis of posts on Facebook where people were making comments to to figure out whether the people were happy or sad, and it didn't work very well because um, it was it couldn't detect sarcasm and it it was it wasn't smart enough to figure out what people were saying when they said, "Oh, I had a great day." which could mean right. I really did have a great day yeah. or I'm being sarcastic right. and I didn't right. have a great day. Well, apparently this um, algorithm has now um, been designed to be able to figure out the multiple meanings of words and has done better than um, than a human would do um, at analysing text, hmm. which is pretty impressive, really. I recently saw a post um, on the Skeptics Guide Facebook page where uh, they were showing an application on Android called SoundHound 
which was incredibly impressive around basically it was a replacement for Apple Siri in that you could essentially ask it anything and it would come back to you with accurate answers. Oh, and, okay. And Soundhound used to be a just listen to the music and tell you what the song was, right? Mm, Pretty sure that's the software. No, I don't think so. You sure? Well, let me just Google that for you. Something uh, like that. Oh, no, you, oh, you might be right. You might be right. I might have the name wrong. Ah, What's I the... would have to check it up. Okay, but anyway, whatever it is. Nevertheless, um, the, the app was incredibly impressive. Okay, um, and it's in beta, so maybe you could get it on your new Android phone, Nathan. Well, now that I can actually install stuff, if again. I could actually find the right um, name for it. So it was on the SGU Facebook yeah, page, did you yeah, say? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, um, yeah. But so what it could do was you could ask it an incredibly complicated query that would be difficult for a human to understand. Right. And it would essentially understand it straight away and come back with the the results. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely want one of those, Nathan. It so definitely cool. would suit your personality. I'd just um, try and trip it up, see how complicated I can get. Yeah, well, um, let me just have a look. It's bugging me now that it's actually not called Soundhound. So they compared it to 200 people. It's, um... Oh, it is called Soundhound. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Same app then. So, yeah, Soundhound speech recognition. Okay. It's so accurate and fast it will blow your mind. So there is actually a video that you can watch of it in action, and it is pretty impressive. Um, but as people have pointed out, it is only a, a beta demo, and... Um, let me just play a little bit of it so you can uh, hear this. It is 10.53 a.m. the next day in Tokyo. What time is it in Tokyo when it's 2 p.m. in San Francisco, California? It is 6 a.m. the next day in Tokyo when it is 2 p.m. in San Francisco, California. When is the sun going to rise two days before Christmas of 2021 in Tokyo, Japan? Sunrise in Tokyo, Japan will be at 6.47 a.m. on Thursday, December 23, 2021. How many days are there between the day after tomorrow and three days before the second Thursday of November of 2022? There are 2,714 days between the day after tomorrow. So, isn't that, that amazing? Is so, awesome. if, if this is real. Is that real? Well, oh, is it? well. I oh, thank you. Well, 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 anyway, anyway, about that. Okay, so this. Oh, man, that hurts. Sorry. So, so this here, this is an even more. Let me just find this. This is a demo, but it's right. incredibly impressive if it no, is real. No, but if real. it's real. Yes, if it's real. Right? Yes. I mean, it's very easy to mock something like this up. But then it wouldn't really be a real demo, would it? If it's all fake, then no. I'm no, very, no, very, very, very upset right The software is in beta, and you can download it and install right. it and try it out. So 
that is your assignment, Nathan, to give you something to talk about next month. My brain is literally melting right now. We're in the fucking future. And AI is actually real. Yes, it is. If that is real, or if that is like only a year or two away from being that good, that is amazing. So I'm on soundhound.com as well. And it looks like Soundhound is the music search discovery, blah, blah, blah. Right. And then Hound is a hands-free way to quickly and intuitively get what you want. Ah, So Hound might be the text. Well, you will have to explore it some more. It's your job. You've got something you have to do. Isn't that amazing? I won't do it if it's a job. Jesus. All right. Well, this is your entertainment, Nathan. Oh, yay. I'm just going to play with this. No, you're not Not doing it now. Right now. now. Yay. No. I'm busy now, you guys. Um, anyway, but if that is real and if nuts. it comes to pass, that is just amazing. That is absolutely nuts. Um, so that leads us into the article that I just found, which I just want to really quickly read because it's <laughs> hilarious. Have you seen this? Artificial intelligence machine gets testy with its programmers. So it's a Google um, computer program. It uses a database of movie scripts, I guess, to simulate AI right doesn't actually explain that um, and they were asking it to define morality and they've got the actual conversation here so the human says tell me the defini- definition of morality the computer says I don't have ethics the human says look I need help I need to know more about morality the machine says I don't know what ethics is um, it's made that connection which is quite clever anyway and blah 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 it goes on and on and on um, but it's replies come from the movie scripts Presumably, yeah. That's what I say. It doesn't it doesn't go into great detail about what it is that it's actually doing, but um, and it gets to a point as sort of you know, are morality and ethics the same? Yes, sir. What are the things I need to do to be immoral? I don't know. Give me some examples of moral actions. I'm not a moralist. Um, and the mm. computer says, I don't. I'm sorry. I don't know what else to say. Um, anyway, human. I really like our discussion on morality. Discussion on morality and ethics. The machine says, and how I'm not in the mood for a philosophical debate. <laughs> Human says, what would you like to talk about? The machine says, nothing. <laughs> yes. I mean, so, well, yeah, uh, it looks like it's, it's yeah, it's using sort of yeah. movies, da- movies, database of movie scripts to fake AI with the way it responds to your questions. Yeah. So, the, the, well, the paragraph underneath is actually pretty good. Oh, okay. Um, the, so the exchange sheds further light on the latest work carried out by large technology firms in the field of artificial intelligence, a booming field as data availability rises and computing costs plummet. Yeah. The specific work is part of recent developments in what's known as cognitive computing, teaching computers to mimic some of the ways a human brain works. Much work in this field is being done in natural language processing, taking speech, text or speech as it was spoken by humans, whereas it appears in books and documents and teaching machines to extract meaning and context from it yes that is that is where it's heading and this that is exactly what the soundhound thing demoed and we're all going to become much smarter by having this technology at our fingertips um what no yeah. the opposite well i don't know by definition i mean don't you feel whole... smarter if you have all that okay when was the last time you had to figure out how to get from point a to point b in your car by using maps, looking it up online, or thinking about it. Well, the point is, I don't have to. You don't have to. No. Have you tried but to hang, do it? But on I your see own where you're going without with this. GPS. I see you're going with this. But 
is my is the measure of my smartness purely me unaided? Well, or this is, is not it, to do. With this is, is, is it, am I allowed to use tools that make me smarter? No, this isn't about being smart. This is about your ability to navigate. Now, your ability to navigate is less. Oh, let's let's ignore you. I find it harder to navigate on my own now. Sure. I'm also getting older as well. Since I started using GPS for everything, right, right, okay, because the GPS does the job for me, and now sure. I don't need to expend brain power to practice that skill. Okay, so now we've got a machine that can answer questions for right. us. But so are, but we, are, you... are we? Let me finish. Are we now, as a result of that, going to lose the ability to answer questions for ourselves because we now have a machine that can do it for us? Well, and we, and is that a bad we, thing? Aren't we like that anyway, right? Yeah. I mean, isn't, aren't we already there with Google? But isn't, Almost, isn't but isn't you, still, you have to know how to formulate a question in order to get good results sure, out, of, sure. out of Google. Okay, right. so maybe maybe your, maybe your skill in formulating questions has improved. And isn't this just an example of brain plasticity in that because of the way you're using your brain to actually, um, rather than just recall facts, actually be able to formulate good search um questions for Google or whatever for Google, sure. actually this that this your, your brain has morphed into this means of becoming smarter overall because you're using technology effectively yeah but what I'm suggesting is that if this app if this AI becomes good enough and more and commonplace then it's the opposite of brain plasticity because we're losing the ability to I mean potentially 10, 15 years from now, when this is just everyone's got one of these on their phone, yeah, you won't think about anything. You'll just be, what's the, you know, what time is this? What isn't it going to take? What time is the? What time does the sun go down today? Isn't it going to take away the drudgery and allow us to concentrate on more abstract thinking? That was part of the question. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? I'm curious as to. I'd love to know whether someone's done a study of kind of pub quizzes and things, and are we are we worse now at pub quizzes? Because we don't have because that sort of trivia floating around our general brain. Knowledge. Are we there, don't bother are there to remember things. Of, mm. Are there bits mm. of pub quizzes that we'd be really bad at now? Because you don't have that knowledge anymore. Yeah. You just go, let's Google it. I'd like to see that. That'd be mm. interesting. Yes. Not everyone, obviously. But okay. Of course, no. once you have a neural implant, <laughs> oh my so gosh. that you can Google things without people actually oh, knowing. You guys, why didn't you tell me about um, this is not my life? What? Oh! This is what? New Zealand um, sort of sci-fi type show from 2010 that's kind of, it's of being, it. oh my it. God, it's being replayed at the moment. It's really good. On it, um, it's on TV, but you T- can get what? it on, you can get it on demand. Oh, uh, this is not my life. Okay. This is not my life. And it's, and it's just, it's really good. This guy wakes sci-fi up. The sci-fi show I know of is uh, Children of the Dogster. You can't find that anywhere. He, he wakes up. Uh, and and it's very Truman Show-ish. It's really good. Is it sort of okay. his, so he's waking I mean, not sure if this is his real life, obviously. Yeah, he's okay. working, he, he wakes up and it's that all like... Me there's, a, um, <laughs> there's a, there's a neurological like disorder that, um, that does that. Yeah, you well, wake up and you think your wife's not your wife anymore and... Yeah, that's yeah. so he so he apparently has a an accident and he kind of feels oh and then he wakes up again and everything's yeah. fine. Yeah. Sounds good. But he's left himself a message on his phone saying, ah. "This is you. You aren't who you think you are. This is all kind of uh, okay." Um, right. And this we've watched two episodes. It's very exciting. Oh, it's a bit of a thriller. 
Yeah, Sounds well, good. who knows how it, but it's nicely done and it's sort of set in this very, uh, it's called Waimoana and it's all very, there's a wellness clinic where everybody's oh, looked okay. after and it's all, oh, it's quite That, that pronunciation of a Maori word sounded almost authentic then, eh, um, Susie? Oh. <laughs> Am I getting better at this? Maybe. <laughs> now try and do it again, oh. now that you're all self-conscious about it. Anyway, it's very good. Um, so TV... One on demand, I think. Okay. It's currently playing really late on Fridays. Um, this okay. is not my life. Right. Really Interesting. good. But well, from 2010, kind of sci-fi thing. Looks like it's only one season long, but um, I'm really well, enjoying it. Well, it was probably so good that it got canned. Yeah. yeah. Never heard of it. True. Okay. I think my homework is to watch that now. Right. right. I'll do the other thing if I get time. The other okay. thing will be fun too, though. <clears throat> will be. All right. Okay. So back to the agenda, I suppose. Was that pub talk enough, guys? Uh, well, well, no, there wasn't the intended pub talk, but oh, whatever. Okay. Next bit is the intended pub oh, talk. Oh, is it? Yes. Yeah, get on okay. with it. I'm okay. sorry. Jeez, just because I missed the um, production meeting. <laughs> well, so the idea I had for discussion was around the medical use of oh. cannabis. Okay. Well, that doesn't seem as interesting as AI, but okay. So discussion, medical use of cannabis. Well, no, but the the, the part, there's two reasons why, right? Because this is sort of in the news at the moment. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's a couple of things in the news. So firstly, there was a case um, of a teenager, as I believe, in Wellington where... Nelson. Oh, Nelson. Okay, it's close to Wellington. <laughs> just, just it might be that he's being treated in, in Wellington, but he's certainly... He's south Nelson. of the Bombay. Right, okay. <laughs> exactly, south of the Bombay. He's being treated in Wellington. Stop. Right, he's okay. Nelson. Anyway, so he has... Um, he was in a coma, and uh, so kind of as a last resort... The mother wanted to use some medical marijuana, and that was actually approved by Peter Dunn, who was the minister, to allow it. And um, so we did, we're not sure actually whether it's being used yet or not. But um, he kind of woke up out of his coma before before they actually um, oh, okay. he used hasn't... it. He was he was starting to improve. So they didn't apparently. get to use it, but. Well, uh, well, it's, that's a, it's not a little clear. bit unclear at the moment. No, that's um, not clear. But essentially, what happened was they needed, they got permission to import a very particular substance, substance yeah, in. Yeah. Anyway, so that's and and then so the report I've seen basically says that he's he's essentially still having a seizure. So the point was he was having this massive seizure, and that's why they put him in a coma. Oh, right, and he's just, yes. and he's still yes. having seizures, ah. and he's not. Um, He's sedated. He's not communicating or anything like that. So right. he's, he has not woken up in the sense that he is. So he's still got whatever he's got wrong. Basically with him. talking to people and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, okay, um, right. Uh, anyway, we can talk a little and, bit about his treatment, and, but what's the other, and the other story? At the same time, there is a story on Shortland Street at the moment. Um, Shortland what? Shortland Street. That's another that TV program. This is a. This is a. Um, this is like New Zealand's version of is, Neighbours and Home yeah, Away. Well, isn't it? yes, kind it's of. a. It's a. Um, but it's set in a hospital, I it, guess. You're not in Doctor Ropata now, Quatermala. <laughs> Something like that. Was that, was that from in the, the early days? Twenty of years Street, ago that you watched yes, it. At the start, there was a quote. The the quintessential quote from Shortland Street is, "You're not in Guatemala now, Doctor Ropata." Oh, okay. Anyway, so um, yeah, so it is a medical drama um, that tends to uh, cover um, 
topical issues of the day and one of these is that there is a uh, teenager with cancer who is being treated with uh, marijuana uh, in the form of brownies <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so uh, the story revolves cheesy. the story revolves around the fact that um, she had chemotherapy and was having uh, nausea and vomiting uh, brought on the chemotherapy and none of the drugs that were prescribed were um, having any effect and making her sick making her sick and and so anyway they they wanted to try cannabis and they they. The doctor said, "Well, you can't do that because it's illegal, and and that could be struck off, and all that sort of stuff." And anyway, um, they tried it anyway, and so the surgeon found out about it, and she condoned it, and now she's in trouble because, um, because it is illegal, and she has to go to the medical tribunal. And, and, and just so to on. clarify, so this is kind of this is kind of mirroring the real life um, thing. Wow, that's happening in some well, respects. Because what I was going to ask is, is cannabis actually effective for treating nausea because i was under the impression that it actually kind of was well maybe it is maybe it is and maybe, maybe, maybe based it be on penn and teller's bullshit but, they don't always get everything 100 percent right but well uh, so i suppose the thing is that there's this big stigma around the fact that it's it's a recreational drug and so that puts it in a particular category in people's minds around whether it should be being used. And right. I, I guess the research is not that great on it yet. And the studies that have been done are not necessarily getting to the point of concluding that it is actually useful. And more to the point what it's useful for. Yes, and, well, and what its long-term effects are. Separating yeah. out, I mean, this is what, what medicine does, right? Is, okay, so there's, there's a plant. Yeah. called cannabis sure so are this are there substances in that plant that could be useful yes and so, you take so those how substances do they and you do double blind randomized yeah. control trials and so i had, if i'd known this would be our discussion i would be i would have done some more research so i know nothing no. what i do know though there's a really nice um so there's a there's a lady at auckland university who works on on um the uh whatever the substances are that are important um, cannabinoids. For cannabinoids yeah um and so she put out quite a good statement about certainly about the teenager who's being yeah. treated because what she kind of so so it's really important to um differentiate between people think that he has been given cannabis yeah and he hasn't no. so the family were given permission to import a particular um uh, thing what is it called it's called um elixinol or something else like that I think. Uh, um, yeah hang on um yeah elixinol um which is made from uh industrial hemp so it's not made from can cannabis it's made from industrial hemp so what's the difference between hemp and cannabis hemp is well, it's the... all the same family of plant but yeah. it's, it's a different plant or is it a different oh. part of the plant no, I think it's a different. Oh, actually, I don't know about. Um, okay, ask well, some tricky questions. They use they use hemp as a. Oh, it as says a it's so hemp. Industrial hemp doesn't contain the psychoactive properties. Right. 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 Okay. So it doesn't have the. But but more importantly, the there 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 the thing that has been thought to be useful, the uh, cannabidiol. So it's 
unclear how much is actually in this stuff. Right. And this stuff Such is... Such a typical herbal medicine product. Yeah, it's, it is one of these products in, that is available in the US, but there's no regulation around how much, you know, how it's prepared, yeah. all of that kind of stuff. So it's exactly the same as just buying some kind of herbal remedy yeah, and right, then assuming right. it is the right thing. Whereas they could have given, they could have got the proper... Yeah. Thing. Actually taken they that could have particular get, substance. Yeah, they out. could have there is a pharmaceutical preparation <coughs> of cannabidiol oh, that they could exists. have bought. Yes. Oh, right, Christ's sake. Right. But they haven't got that. They've just got the the unknown whatever it is could have anything in it because yeah. it's not you know, it's not a medicine. It's not um it's just the classic thing that, you know, you can could have anything in it kind of right. thing. Right. production isn't in any way regulated. So it's it's probably got some of everything because it's just the plant itself. So it could have things that are useful and things that have bad effects. So so it would be good if we actually had a pharmaceutical company who could refine the stuff that was good. Right, which there is. There is is a product. That's what she was saying. There's actually um, a product that contains Which has orphan drug status, apparently. What does that mean? Um, so orphan drug status basically means that it's is it a drug that's in in it's either a drug in search of a disease <laughs> or oh, a, um, it's a drug they don't know what to do with sort of thing. so it's a solution in, in search of a problem <laughs> right uh, or is it a uh, <laughs> um, <coughs> oh no it's something that's intended for um, for something that's a, a disease that's only affects a very very small number of people. Right. So, um, okay. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you can have, you can get orphan drug status if it's for something that's to treat a small number of people. I mean, so, those kinds of things, it, you know, if you've got a really, really small number of people who have something that also makes testing, the testing these mm. kind of compounds difficult. Right. So, right. We've also, we've got two different, two completely different topics here. We've got the Shortland Street one, which is the nausea, which may have some actual benefit. And, and and plausibility, and we've got the guy in the coma where they were trying to cure his yeah, so seizures I guess it's all, with herbal medicine. Yeah, but it was all. I guess everything's been framed as cannabis, yeah. and yeah. what he's right. not be he is not being given cannabis. He's been given a preparation from made from industrial hemp. Mm, right. Does that make sense? It does. What else does Michelle have to say about it? Um, Are you just cheating by going to Nano Girl's blog? Or is no, it Michelle else? Glass. Oh, not okay. Michelle, not Nano Girl. Um, there is more than one female scientist one with Michelle as first okay. name. <laughs> um, Don't know why he'd specify female scientists, but sexist. Well, Michelle. Okay. Oh, I'm not even going to go there. Um, yeah. So the okay. So the industrial hemp that doesn't have any of the stuff that will make uh, that gives anybody a high, but it basically has high fiber content and negligible negligible um psychoactive, psychoactive bits right. um and but it's not clear all right okay so the cannabidiol which is the thing that has been found to be possibly of some use in some kinds of seizures in some kinds of patients right um is 90 the product that avail- is available the pharmaceutical preparation is 98% cannabidiol. This thing that he's been given, the hemp oil, is 18%. So there's right. lots of other things in there. Yeah. And sure, as I say, it could, they could, and they might not even be 18%. It could be anything. Right. Okay. Right. Does that make sense? But yeah, yeah as for as for the Shortland Street thing, 
Is it someone knocking on your door? Oh, no, it's you. Oh. Um, yeah, as for the Shortland Street. Um, so there was, a, there was an interesting product. So talking about um, nausea for chemotherapy patients. Um, there was somebody at the University of Auckland who was working on something with Fonterra to make an ice cream uh, called Recharge. With THC in it. No. <laughs> so that people would buy more that, ice cream because they get the munchies. That Dude, relieves, I think I just had a business listen, idea. Listen, listen. Sorry. Um, thought to relieve diarrhea, anemia, and lack of appetite in people undergoing chemotherapy. Mm. And right. It was supposed to Shame be going if you're, through... Um, lactose intolerant. was supposed to be going through clinical trials in 2009, and I can't find any mention of it. Mm, so maybe it didn't work. Yeah. It's been switched on the car for someone's, what's in someone's file, file drawer. File cabinet. Uh, what was the ingredient? So this is this this ties into the um into the move or into the movement which is proposing that all drug trials should need to be published whether they um, were successful yes, or not. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Draw in favour of hmm. All trials. Interesting. Dot or something. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I get emails from them every now and then. Right. I don't anyway, so what what also brought this up for me was that um, on a Facebook page of somebody I'm a friend of, there was a um, a person in New Zealand who is making uh, I don't know what you call it rubs made it's with a, coconut um, oil and um, a cannabis root. And claiming all these benefits about rubbing the stuff on your skin, about how it can um, cure all sorts of stuff, and uh, it was just kind of interesting what she was claiming, and and the fact that it could cure all this stuff from just rubbing the stuff on your skin. Do you want to actually play the video? Because it's, uh, it's a bit of a bit of it is quite long. Yeah, we'll put a link to we'll it. Put a link, but yeah, okay. So, uh, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say about it. To be honest, <laughs> I had something in my head. Um, that, oh, now, see, yeah, the question I had when I was watching the video is, is it in some way plausible that a topical, is that the word? Topical. Topical, topical yeah. application of cannabis could have some pain uh, analgesic effect? Well, I don't know. I does it have any analgesics me, I mean, in it? I don't know. I mean, people feel relaxed when they, I don't know, I've never, take, I've never smoked marijuana, right? But it's relaxing. People get happy and giggly and hmm. you know the the anti-nausea thing that we think might be plausible based on Penn and Teller's episode on medical marijuana yeah I guess it's I guess it's possible it just seems unlikely to me that it would have I mean, the, that not sort of to the rubbing it on yeah. that she's saying but no no well, she's, um, she's claiming that it um, got rid of wrinkles as well yeah age well, you know, I mean using but that could well be the, the coconut, coconut oil, coconut oil <laughs> yeah. as well <laughs> yes anyway uh, well, well, perhaps we should um, look into that a little bit more. Yeah, we'll yeah, um, follow that up and we'll get back to you in a, the, in a later episode. It'd be good to know what the state of play is in yeah. terms of um, actual proper research. Uh, so, yeah, if you'd give me a bit of more of a heads up, I want to be able to look at it. But Right. Next time. You, next time. Next time try. we'll bring it up again. Okay, so that was our discussion, was it? Yes. We said everything we wanted to say. Oh, no, let's move on. I'll tell you what, actually. I found the extra feedback that I was looking for. It's in the Google groups. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to talk about it now, and if I can get around to it, I'll shift it up. 
Um, but we did have some other other feedback from Nikki. Um, Nikki is a philosopher. Does that seem right? This is Nikki Drake. Nikki Drake from the New Zealand Skeptics. So he says, I don't care if movies... We were talking about um, the movie. What do we call it? Ex Machina. Ex Machina. Oh, which is playing at the um, New Zealand Film Festival. Festival. We can finally go and see it. Yay. Yay. (laughs) Um, I don't care if movies make mistakes in science, because he's a philosopher, largely for artistic reasons. Oh, but also because I'm not very interested in science. But I appreciated how people who know about science feel about these things more when I watched this film in its horrible philosophical era. A character says that Frank Johnson's Mary the Colour Scientist thought experiment is about whether Mary is a robot or not. That's dreadful. It's meant to show that consciousness is not physical, something Jackson later changed his mind about. Now, I actually, when I got that, I went and did some research and I found out what the actual experiment was. I read the Wikipedia page and a couple of other sites about it. And I was like, cool, I'm going to do some research closer to the time so I remember what I'm talking about. And then I didn't. So I'm not actually prepared to talk about this in any great depth. But for those of you who aren't sure, um, spoilers, by the way. No, I don't uh, want to hear any spoilers. No, 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 just no, no, no. because it was, this is something they talked about in the movie, that's all. Uh, okay. Nothing about the actual movie itself. But they, I'm so here's the thought but, but, but even but, if there were spoilers, there is research to say that spoilers don't spoil the movie. Okay. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to know. It does, because you know, I always enjoy the movie more if I don't know what's coming. But anyway, so the thought experience experiment, for anyone who does who wants to know, is that Mary is a brilliant scientist who, for whatever reason, is forced to investigate the world from a black and white room via a black and white television monitor. She has no visual way of seeing colour. Couldn't she just look at her own hands? No, shut up. Everything's in black and white. <laughs> Um, she's wearing she's, black and white gloves. But right. she's a specialist in the neurophysiology of vision and acquires all the physical information that there is to know about what goes on when we see colour. She knows what red means, she knows what blue is, she knows the wavelengths, etc., 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 how it stimulates the retina and how this... Um, how this yeah, so interacts she knows everything with the central nervous system. Yep. Everything there is. But she hasn't experienced colour. She hasn't experienced it. So she has all of the knowledge okay. about colour. Yep. Yet, when she release, is released from the room, she now sees colour for the first time. Has she learnt anything new? Is she, for example, so basically I think it's summarising it as best I can from my memory. Yeah. Essentially, it's is the experience the same as knowledge? Having experienced the colour, <laughs> is that a new kind of knowledge? And it's actually quite interesting. I would recommend the um, the Wikipedia page, and there was another page I found where they talked about it as well. And I, I read it, and it was fascinating, but I can't remember a damn thing about it. Um, <laughs> other than well, the my na- my naive impression would be that knowledge, the definition of knowledge, seems to be a very nebulous thing. And can you say can you quanti- quantify how much knowledge she has? And did she increase that amount of knowledge by actually experiencing colour? I yeah. don't know. Yeah. So that's essentially the argument. Um, and what does this mean if if it was true that she had increased her knowledge by experience it versing, experiencing it versus well, that's just... Th- what that means it. is we're redefining the term knowledge to include experience right. as well. 
then that that was the that's the that's the i think nikki's gonna email it send me an angry email now uh, i think that's the that's the point of the of the thought experiment whereas in the movie i think they implied that they were trying to establish whether mary was a robot or not yeah okay um, which is not the point of the experiment and that's what nikki wanted to say so okay uh, i have done that now you are welcome mm. and we go back onto the agenda which um, is what everyone's waiting no, for. No, 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 wait, 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 no, wait just uh, before uh, you go. Uh, I've just found an, an abstract um, in some random place reporting the results of a randomized phase 2B trial about this recharge ice cream uh, on preventing chemotherapy-induced diarrhea, and it didn't. Yeah. Oh, so shame. Maybe they weren't eating enough of it. Possibly. Um, yeah, so there you go. Oh, I see. So it's not on the market. Can't go and buy ice cream that prevents at the supermarket no, that uh, prevents yet. your diarrhea when you haven't been having chemotherapy. Sounds like a very specialised product. <laughs> probably buy it from a pharmacy. Right. Anyway, there you um, go. So I'm dying to know what Delia's devices are because the first one <laughs> says chiropractic sander. So I, I have not looked at this video yet. But um, the video I'm, is of a uh, of a chiropractor, chiropractor, chiropractor. Um, doing some stuff with somebody, and then at some point, <coughs> he brings out this thing that looks a little bit like, and like <laughs> how to describe it, looks a little bit like a sander. So he, it's a, it's a vibrating device that he then puts on this person, and is he starts a, a detail sander or an, a random <laughs> orbital sander. sander yeah. or it's, a, it's it like you have to go and see the thing when he basically holds. How? Um, I'm loading the video now. Give me a uh, second. He, yeah, he holds this thing, and then he, and it's just like, and he's sort of vibrating yeah. it on this person's back. So the point of it is more um, the vibration. It's a vibration. Actually, a sander. Yeah. Oh. No, no, but it just it looks kind of like a sander. Okay. Anyway, but no, it's a vibration device that you hold, and it's obviously got some kind of pad or something. And he says that what's he chiropractic is... in this man's stomach that this guy needs to press down? Oh, apparently he's doing. Stomach. Apparently, oh, it's oh, a. God. Um, it's when you've got a hole in your diaphragm and your your gut contents end up coming in the wrong place, and so it's about putting them. So he these are all the things about putting them back down, and he uses ah, this thing is. to. Um, okay. What are we? It kind of looks like a like a belt sander. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, but he's using it to uh, give the guy a colon massage. Apparently, oh, this will help. Anyway, I so I was like, what and is ironing, this machine? And ironing his shirt at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, what is this machine? And it turns out. It's a portable fat vibration massage weight loss slimming machine wow. and relaxation, apparently, which you can get for um, 150 US dollars. Uh, and yeah, and it's supposed to help. So, and then since I looked at this, it's been popping up all over my computer. Oh, like, no. oh are you sure you don't want to buy this? Like, no, I don't want to buy it. I know it's got free shipping, but I still don't want it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, 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 so something that's being used for weight loss, which I doubt would work for that. It's also being used by at least this one chiropractor um, for colon massages. Right. Oh, so anyway. that's not what it's intended for. <laughs> I think it's just it's just a machine that'll make people. It's a, it's a good placebo, right? It'll right. it'll, it'll yeah. make people feel like something's happening to them. Sure. Anyway, that was so that was um, it was just a brief device. Okay. What I so actually this next want one to I'm talk about. I have a couple of questions about this next one. Okay. So go ahead and tell us what it is. <laughs> well, um, so it's uh, there's just been in the news quite a lot. 
about um, the fact that some teenagers have invented condoms that change color when they detect sexually transmitted infections. Right. Is there a video of them in use? <laughs> no, there's not. <laughs> anyway, so these kids have just won um, a Teen Tech Award um, for their device called the STI, as in E Y E. Oh, uh, right, right. <laughs> um, so and what? And words. and so to start with, they haven't invented a condom that can detect sexually transmitted infections. Oh. Okay. So let's just put it out there. They just invented um, the concept. The concept yes, is right. that this is what they think would be awesome, and um, and yeah, and so so this is what they've sort of won for. It's kind of not really being reported that way, but anyway, what they're saying is that it would glow green if you had chlamydia, yellow if you had herpes, purple if you had HPV, hypothetically <sighs> blue if you had syphilis. Is that even possible? Okay. No. <laughs> so there's a lot of things wrong with this. <laughs> um, and there's a great article written by um, a lady whose name I can't pronounce. Uh, well, her first name is Tara. Heal? I don't know. H-A-E-L-L-E in Forbes. Right. Um, saying, talking about why they sound awesome but aren't feasible or even wise you know what it reminds me of it reminds what? me of the nail polish oh yes yes nail yes polish that was that supposed, was to, supposed to, detect to detect date rape yeah, drugs yeah, and the yeah, criticism yeah. of that was you shouldn't fucking need nail polish to detect date rape drugs yeah why not focus on don't put date rape drugs in people's drinks yeah sure well um, so so maybe a useful product but yeah not quite as clever as maybe well so the so the questions there's lots of questions around these um so what they you know what we what would be really cool is to have really easy uh rapid tests for some of these things and yeah. so what you know the suggestion here is that you're going to put all of these into um, a, condom. a condom so they're going to have to completely change the way the the materials work sure. yeah um so the idea is that there are color change assays that have uh that work in different ways so, so some some of these color change assays they work based on antibodies where you have uh kind of have these plates coated with an antibody and if they and if you're whatever it is that you're you have antibodies that you're trying to detect they bind to this thing and then you add another thing and that changes the um then there's a color change um okay uh so so that's fine but a lot of these infections aren't on detected that way they're actually detected genetically so it's actually pcrs and things like that right. to detect detect the check genetic material so so now we want to build a condom with a pcr machine <laughs> right. so that's the first so the first thing is actually that this is not you know that that yes there are some diseases that are tested that way and but not most of the ones that they're talking about right. and right. so then how you know how would you do this anyway and well, you'd have to change right well and you'd have to change all of these things but then the more interesting thing that this article talks about is actually like why would you do this that was kind of my question yeah so what is the actual use of it and also is it ethical to do this so who are they uh, testing so yeah. which side is it working yeah, on is this testing the person that you're uh so the woman wearing gives the condom the to the man to find out whether he's got an STI or, or vice versa, or you but wear it yourself to find out if yeah, you've so, got a... So, so which partner is being tested? Which side of the thing's on? Um, what happens if you've got all of them? <laughs> Do you have another To a rainbow condom. And then... And that tells you something uh, else. And then there's the also, there's also lots of things around um, actually what samples, you know, whether 
whether the secretions are enough to mm. um you know to detect yeah. this kind of stuff right um so that's so the so the technicalities of whether it mm. would really work are are highly dubious but if they did work or if they were if somebody's going to work towards those is it a good thing to do and and actually what would be way better is for people to have a relationship where they felt it was appropriate to talk about these kinds of things. If yeah. you're going to have sex with somebody, to be able to say, actually, do you know what? I want to know yeah. whether you have an infection. Um, because well, a lot of things that happen... might not necessarily know themselves, which is where a little no. test kit could come in handy if that was a thing. Well, and the point is that, you know, if, uh, if you are yeah. having sex, you should be having a, a well, you know, you should be having a health check every year, sure. frankly. Yeah. yeah. If you're not going to do have safe sex, you should be having a health check every year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And part of those health checks is this counselling, and you know, and people who understand what a, what a, what the results might mean, what they mean in terms of treatment, um, also what you know, the rates of false positives and false yeah. negatives and that kind of thing, which you just don't get in this oh, kind yeah. of yeah. a setup. And the false um, sense of security you would have if yeah. it didn't change colour. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also what they're talking a, um, a lot about in terms of the. Um, is, is how these could end up being used to shame right? and also as right. a vehicle for abuse. So, uh, you know, if somebody's in an abusive relationship and they're found to have a positive result, yeah. you know, they may well end up being beaten by their partner right. or, you know, it could end up to all sorts of stress. And what if that was a false negative? Yeah. You yeah. Know, or rather a false, sorry, a false positive. So there's sort of ethics around whether something like this is even appropriate. It kind of at first, at first sounds like a really cool idea. Yeah. Very um, much and, reminds uh, and, me of the nail polish. Yeah, and I'm all for getting people to think about uh, STIs because, you know, I mean, here in New Zealand, our rates are appalling. They're higher than the U UK and um, Australia. They're rising. Some of them are this, um, I think it's the gonorrhea bug is becoming resistant to antibiotics. Mm -hmm. You know, these are these are things that when they're lots of people will be asymptomatic and if they are not diagnosed can cause infertility. So they're huge issues. Yeah. Well we um, should get Bristol Palin over here. Clearly <laughs> abstinence is the only way. <laughs> the only way. Um, but yeah, whether something that is a colour change thing like this, um, you're right, it's the same as the now, Polish, actually, we should be talking about these things more right. openly and getting people to... Education yeah. rather than just yeah. quick fixes. Mm. Mm. Okay. And, and frankly, just use condoms, please. Yes. <laughs> just normal uh, And then have ones your, that have your stay the colour they are when you put them on. <laughs> yes, there you go. Rent over. Um, and it is a dubious device, most definitely. Sure. Well, except it's not, though, because as you said, they haven't actually <laughs> invented that device yet. Indeed. Um, okay, so we now have an interview with Matt Dillahunty and Aaron Ra. Oh, okay. Interviewed them when they were over here doing their, their little talks with the NZARH. And something went wrong with my phone in the recording, and I lost all the footage. And then I bumped into my good friend, Graham Hill, Hello. who had previously had interviewed them for his radio show. Right. And so he said, oh, no worries, mate, I will send you all my footage. So he sent me his interview, um, and that is why I don't sound like me in this <laughs> clip it's actually you're about here, because it's actually somebody Graham. else's footage. World famous on the internet is applicable, I think, to the two people that I have in captivity just for a little while. Uh, Matt Dillahunty and Aaron Ra. Uh, Matt Dillahunty is uh, one of the hosts of The Atheist Experience. Aaron Ryer's got so much stuff up on YouTube. They actively engage the 
religious, the evangelists, especially the creationists. First of all, I want to say welcome, uh, hearty welcome to New Zealand, Matt. Oh, thanks so much. We're having a great time, and I'm very happy that we were able to make it down. And Aaron Rudd. I'm really impressed when people tell me that they're patriots for New Zealand, and I understand why when they take us around the countryside. It's a beautiful country. First of all, Matt, you have um, not a unique position, but um, between both of you, you were um, maybe a, you were an evangelist. You were a believer in the literal word of the Bible for a long, long time. That makes you particularly sort of well armed for uh, for argument. Well, I'd like to say that I'm not undereducated, but I'm definitely under-credentialed. I spent you know, 25 years primarily as a Southern Baptist. My goal was to be uh, a minister. I was active in the church in my teen years and then kind of fell away from it for a while. And when I, you know, for years, I thought that God wanted me to be a preacher, and so did you know, other members of my family and church. And so when I set out to finally do what I thought God wanted, I, I decided uh, my roommate at the time was an atheist. And one of the first things I needed to do was figure out how to convince him um, that he was wrong, to, to save his soul. And in the process of trying to find a way to convince him without ever even talking to him, um, my process backfired spectacularly, and I found myself uh, a non-believer. And you went on to not only just take that as your worldview, but you thought it was necessary to communicate it with others. Yeah, I've also I've always you know, held to this idea that I want to believe as many true things and a few false things as possible. And I had a rationalist skeptics mind view about everything in the world except for my religious beliefs. And when it finally dawned on me that I hadn't applied that universally, um, it, it kind of woke me up. It was very liberating to find that I was, you know, free from the trappings of religion. And if I, as a reasonably intelligent person, could have believed something like this for so long and then come to the realization that I had no good reason to believe it, you know, I, I wanted to engage with other people. It wasn't so much now I've found the truth and I'm going to go out and preach it. Uh, it's I understand now I didn't have a good reason. If somebody does have a good reason to believe, I'd love to know. And so I began writing things and then uh, having more and more conversations. And eventually it led to me uh, serving as host on the Atheist Experience TV show and then doing debates and lectures at universities and conferences. Aaron, I don't really know much about your background. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in evolution, of course, paleontology and all of that. But I, like him, I also am an anti-theist. I think when you have people that come from a religious background, it, religion is very polarizing because it, it believes very strongly in dichotomies. And so it polarizes the people around it, where you have places where there's a lot of religious influence, like what you have in Texas, where all of the government officials are all deeply religious, and all of their legislation is oppressively religious. Then you either get people that adopt religion just as they're told, or you got people that, that revolt against it. And when people get out of religion, when they start examining it and finding out what's not really there, the, the emperor is naked kind of syndrome— what you find with people moving away from religion is very much like when they're moving away from smoking. The ex-smoker is the most anti-tobacco activist, and this is very much the case with atheists. If they never had religion in their lives, they tend to be apatheists. They don't care if a god exists. They don't care about religious beliefs. But when you live in a place that is dominated the way Texas is, with oppressive, oppressive legislation against like women's rights and everything that you can talk about, what, you know, what our legislators do— then people become more strongly activists against those you know, religious dominionists and those types of laws. I don't know who said it, that the internet is where religions come to die, but 
It's also where whack ideas can find company. We, you don't have any, any prerequisites to anything that you post on the internet. There's actually an advantage in the fact that the internet doesn't have any controls or restrictions and anybody can post whatever they want. Because if you're inclined to check out your sources, you're going to discover pretty quickly what's, what's actually valid and what's not. But the fact that you know that you have to do that is what keeps people thinking skeptically. If we were trained to just respect whatever we saw, like I was, I was told to believe everything I saw on television. If I saw it on the news or if I saw it on a science documentary, then I was supposed to believe it without question. Well, now with the Internet, you don't. And it's encouraging that people are thinking more skeptically about everything that they read. Yeah, it's the Internet has been a big boon, and I, I benefited from it early on. There, There is the problem of... It's very easy for someone with uh, a completely unsupported idea to build a website that looks professional, that looks uh, as if it's something you should trust. I mean, they, in much the same way that we, we put people in uh, white lab coats uh, to advertise things so that you get the impression of a doctor, that's the same thing that's happening in, in some areas of the Internet. And so the, there's the aspect of free speech where people are now free to communicate and you have better access to ideas and information. Uh, but that makes it, as Arne was talking about, um, e even more important that we exercise critical thinking and skepticism, verify sources when we can, and when we can't, or when we, even even if we have verified the sources, that we still hold views tentatively, that we uh, are always open to changing our mind if new information presents itself, and that we don't commit wholeheartedly, dogmatically to some idea, uh, no matter what it is. Why does it matter so much to you to inform other people that believing uh, as many true things versus as many false is important. But it's because beliefs matter. The things that people hold in their head, their internal model of reality dictates the actions that they're going to take. Their actions have consequences for themselves and for the rest of us. No, we don't live in a vacuum. Yeah, you know, you're, you're out here on an island, uh, but the actions of New Zealand affect, you know, beyond the boundaries. Uh, and First of all, it, it, every false belief that you have potentially encourages you to have more false beliefs because that means that there's some heuristic model in your head that allowed your brain to accept, accept something that isn't true. And that model is going to be used for every similar claim. If you believe that, you know, Ouija boards are communicating with the spirit world, whatever uh, methodology you use to reach that conclusion and determine that it's plausible and, and true uh, doesn't just apply to Ouija boards. It applies to a lot of other things as well. And that's why I've, you know, I've primarily focused on the atheist community uh, because religion is kind of my background and it's where I think I can do the best work. Um, but I'm a huge advocate for skeptics and uh, skepticism. And I'm, I'll be talking about that tonight, actually. Well, I'm playing devil's advocate here to try and spice things up. Um, why don't you just stay at home? Because you're not going to convert those people that you're debating. You go up against William Lane, freaking Craig, or those. You're not. It's not going to work for them. And people get frustrated that why are you bothering? So, I I don't ever think that I'm going to change the mind of the person that I'm actually debating over the course of a single debate. The purpose of the conversation is for the audience. It's for the people who share those views. And there's a number of different factors that play in, and we're learning more about it from science, this idea of mirror neurons, where you see somebody 
hit hit their hand with something. The only thing, the only reason you don't feel the pain is because you have something that blocks it. And somebody, as soon as somebody's committed and vocally, publicly presented, I hold this position, they're less likely to change it. They're more likely to become entrenched. But if I can have a debate with someone who shares a view that you hold uh, and you just work all this out in your head and you watch and see that they seem to be presenting something in an embarrassing way, something that you would feel uncomfortable about, um, you can work through this. For the people who say that it's it's futile, you're not going to change anybody's mind, uh, it's just false. I mean, I was a believer for 25 years. My, my IQ didn't go up. I didn't, I mean, I may, may have gotten smarter in some colloquial sense, but, uh, you know, theists aren't stupid. They're just mistaken so far as I can tell. And the the idea that you can't change people's minds, if you look around virtually, I, I'd say the overwhelming majority of atheists that I meet uh, as I travel around the world, they were all theists at some point. And it was some conversation somewhere that either planted a seed or tipped them over the edge. Um, it, it's not futile. It's, it's the only way you're going to change minds is through having the conversations and educating people. It's not going to happen immediately. But it absolutely happens. My inbox, I've been doing the TV show for 10 years. I have thousands and thousands of emails from people who are like, oh, thank you so much for, you know, the show. I was a fundamentalist Christian. I was Baha'i. I was Hindu. I was uh, a non-skeptic. And now I identify as a rational, skeptical atheist. Much the same thing with me. I mean, my inbox also is just from people thanking me for helping them understand what was being misrepresented to them. Because, you know, creationists and other religious organizations – they pump information out with a, there's a, there's a certain propaganda mill, you know, that they can reach these people who are taking advantage of children who haven't been educated yet, people taking advantage of people who are undereducated and filling their heads full of misinformation. So the video series that I did, The Foundational Falsehoods of Creationism and others that follow that, were supposed to be short educational videos for people with short attention spans and, and a, a virtual lack of education to fill them in what they're being lied to or what the lies are that they're getting from the, the church and from other religious organizations. Uh, here's another objection. Why are you atheists so angry? I think uh, one of the best responses to that, uh, my friend Greta Christina wrote a book called Why Are You Atheists So Angry? And a tremendous little speechy too, uh, res responding to that. It's outstanding. I've heard her give it at several different conferences and it, I never tire of it. I'm, I'm one of those people I don't tend to give the same talk over and over again. Uh, Greta could give that talk. I'd listen to it you know, once a week, once a month for the rest of my life. <laughs> it, it, it's not angry in, in the sense that uh, you're losing control of yourself and irate and, you know, it, it is frustration at the privileged position that religion has worldwide, but primarily for me in the United States, um, it is uh, a, a kind of a, a bizarre, it's a righteous anger at the harm that is done by religious belief, the harm that's done in the name of religion when people don't uh, get their kids medical treatment and, and opt for prayer instead, and this ends up in dead children. Um, when people are enacting legislation based on their personal religious views that affect other people, you know, you've gay marriage in New Zealand. We don't have that everywhere in the United States yet, but we're getting there. Um, and this is so there, there are aspects of equality that are in danger. Um, but I think on some level, it's also just waking up in a world that seems backward, where the majority of people believe in something that we not only don't see sufficient evidence to warrant belief, 
But when pressed on the issue, they are unable to provide sound, reasonable arguments supported by evidence that should be convincing. And yet almost everybody believes it. You know, 70, 80 percent of the world uh, believes in some version of some God, uh, perhaps more, perhaps less. And the this results in non-believers being you know, misrepresented, lied about from the pulpit as to who we are. You know, we're uh, baby killers or Satan worshipers or we are immoral. Um, when really, and I've, I've said many times that not only am I, but everybody I've ever met that's not currently in prison is morally superior to the character of God in the Bible. Um, and that religious ideas about morality aren't moral systems. They don't teach you anything. They're moral pronouncements. They're, this is right, this is wrong. This is right, this is wrong. There's nothing in there uh, to talk about the complicated issues. And if we can't get past the simple issues about whether or not there's a problem with two people loving each other, uh, what are we going to do as we progress? You know, we learn more about uh, science and you know, the issues of cloning and these things that go to identity and you know there's nothing in the bible about that but somebody will find something in in the bible or the quran uh or perhaps in some scientology pamphlet (laughs) and come up with a you know a dogmatic uh opinion and all those people who are ostensibly on their side will just agree with it and enact it without any reason discourse without you know the sort of rigorous um scientific or even philosophical investigation where we we actually sit around and think about this What, what are the consequences of this what do these beliefs uh, inform? What actions do these beliefs inform? What what kind of things are we going to continue to do if we hold to this idea? Uh, it's it's a strange world that I find myself in, and it's especially strange because it, it didn't used to appear strange to me, and I don't know why. And I would like to say that if you take away all of the the acts of extremism, and you know the, the legislation that is being imposed against. Uh, the, the homosexuals and, and like in, in Africa you have some children that are being burned as witches and you have some freak in California trying to pass a law that requires that homosexuals be shot to the head you know if, if you take away all of these sorts of things so just look at the basis of it you know, people wouldn't say why can't I believe what I want to believe right well there's a thing about you have a right to believe whatever you want but you don't have a right to tell other people things as facts that are not actually fact. Now, see, there's a problem with lying to people, and a lot of religious people have told me in many situations that there's no problem with lying. They don't believe that there is an issue with lying to someone, that that, that the the ends justify the means. You mean lying lying for Jesus? Yes, yes, exactly. And, And I've had people admit to me that there's there are conditions under which it is necessary to deceive people in order to get them to believe, that whether they believe it matters more than whether it is true. But the way I look at it is if you're misleading somebody, then all of the information that they're getting from you, they're using to inform their decisions and everything that, that you, you're causing harm to their situation. It's not a physical abuse, but it has side effects that are long reaching and it causes you know, things like you know, hatred of homosexuals, as we mentioned, and then you know, malpractice and other things. But there's a, there's a problem in my perspective with lying to people, that you should be truthful. And I don't call truth just whatever somebody says the truth is because they say so. The truth is whatever we can show to be true. And I have to make that as an important distinction. Okay, Aaron, this is something I notice, um, something you've you've often cited, and I'm just wondering if it's um, for, I, I suppose, 
quasi-political reasons, and that is you don't uh, have to be an atheist to believe in evolution. Um, you go to some pains to say, you know, don't be afraid of evolutionary theory uh, if you want to maintain a faith. The Pope, also, the Catholic Church, accepts evolution. But the conclusion of the Pope about evolution is that man is the pinnacle. And that goes completely against everything that evolution speaks of. So I think the theists should be afraid of evolution, and I'm not sure that you can have both. Well, religion has a tendency to follow and claim to be the leader. And you can see by the Catholic Church having to change so many of its rules and, and its, its edicts about this or that, that they are actually following the trends, trying to remain popular and trying to pretend that they're still relevant. And that's why you have you know, the Pope making PR statements you know, for popularity. He knows he has to do that. What happened to the Pope, the Pope being infallible? And God tells the Pope something, the Pope lays it out, and then we would all be able to demonstrate that whatever it was that the Pope had said was true. But then when the Pope then says that, that the use of condoms causes AIDS, why was he still Pope 10 minutes later? You know, and then the next time when the Pope comes out and says even atheists can get into heaven and then the card- and all the cardinals have to come up and retract the Pope's statement the next day saying, sorry, the Pope got it wrong. What? <laughs> but you, can, you, you say that you can't accept evolution and, and, and still be a person of faith. I'm, I'm not sure you can. Well, you can because faith, faith is a denial of whatever you need to deny in order to continue believing. But the fact is, is that the pioneers of evolutionary biology have been traditionally, usually, strongly devout Christians. Just because you believe in a God and you believe in a particular Christian God doesn't mean that you're dogmatic. It doesn't mean that you believe that the Bible is literally inerrant and that you you have to treat it the way creationists do. Uh, Ken Miller is literally the textbook uh, evolutionary biologist. He writes the textbooks for college, and he he holds traditional Catholic beliefs. The most famous of the paleontologists in history, uh, Robert Bacher, is also a Pentecostal preacher. Right. And then Theodosius Dobzhansky, again, Russian Orthodox, and he was the one that said that you know nothing in, nothing in biology makes sense except in light of evolution. How you compartmentalize your religious beliefs is one thing. You know, it's, it's, but you know, what you can show as far as demonstrable truth and evidence and whether that, any of that has meaning to you is something else. Okay. Aaron was talking about the Catholic Church and condoms and why is he still the Pope and the Pope infallible. To me, uh, the Catholic Church in particular keeps demonstrating uh, that it's all bollocks. Um, the, 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 when they got rid of limbo. Now here's an idea, a theological idea, that is not con- contradicted by anything in reality. It's not like they came up with uh, you know, some new, new discovery in science that forced them to change their position on limbo. They just decided, hmm, philosophically, this is getting a little bit difficult uh, for us to keep supporting uh, just like indulgences were, and we stopped selling those because that was an obvious con. Um, so uh, the infallible popes who came before, who were supporting of the idea of limbo, who had God's ear or who, who's, whose ear God had, um, yeah, they, they, they were all wrong, and now we're going to get rid of limbo. And the curious thing is that people were like, oh, okay, as if they were more likely to get it right this time than they were in the past, uh, when I would think that the conclusion would be, 
I have no reason to think you ever got it right mm. or that any of this is real. But I think it's really telling when they start changing their position on things without being forced to by a scientific discovery. Because the, dis the discovery, to the extent that there was one, that forced them to change their position was a humanistic, philosophical view of what's right, what is just. And if God is viewed as the most just, God would do this. And then that just betrays the entire truth, which is that the church has their own model of God, and they're going to talk about it. And as the world around them changes, that model of God is going to change. I, if there was a God, where's the Bible 2.0? Where's the update? Why isn't he clearly coming down and communicating with everybody? Why is it that Saul of Tarsus is deserving of a Damascus Road experience and the rest of us have to learn dead languages and study for years in order to find out that, oh, wow, we still don't have any good reason to believe? And why is it that we have dozens of denominations or hundreds of denominations of people all claiming to have absolute truth that they can't agree on anything? I mean, even what God is. I mean, if, if they have no consensus, then how can they all claim to have this truth? I had a friend of mine that runs a, a fundamentalist Christian school, and I told him that I thought a really good idea would be to have the leaders of all these different organizations gather together and show what they can each prove is correct about their beliefs so they can then change their minds about what each other so that they can, come, they can unify into one truth. Because if it is the truth, then there's only one. And all of these denominations can compare their notes, figure out who's wrong about what, and get to one central answer, my friend. All of our discoveries should be ratcheted towards that central truth. Exactly. There shouldn't be thousands of new denominations cropping up all the time. There should only be one. And it's interesting that if you come away from religion, it doesn't matter what religion you come away from. If you come away from faith and start accepting evidence, then you do find one ultimate truth, and it includes evolution and Big Bang cosmology and these sorts of things. But my friend said a very interesting answer to that. He said, they're not going to do that. And I said, well, well why not? And he says, I can't tell you. <laughs> okay. Um, I've taxed your time almost uh, to despair probably for you guys. I'm just going to ask if uh, there's anything else you, you want to say. I, I just, I love the fact that we're able to do this. This is my first time uh, crossing the equator. And uh, I, I love coming down, seeing the, you know, the beautiful sights and learning about uh, other countries and interacting with people. But what I'm finding everywhere I go, people have a particular view of the United States that they get from the news media. The, you know, some of them have this view that we're all cowboys and gun nuts and you know, blah, blah, blah. And similarly, we have views of other places. And what I find invariably is that people are people. We are dealing with a lot of the same issues. There may be different issues, different subtle changes. You know, you, each government is doing different things, and you might have a, a particular issue that is only affecting your little community. And this kind of think globally, act locally mentality uh, that's always kind of resonated with me, thanks to the Internet that we talked about earlier, is, is kind of broadening. And when I, when I get the chance to come out and meet people and engage, and I find people who found their way free of religion, who are trying to help others wake up, for, for lack of a better phrase, um, I just, I realize where the planet is gradually becoming smaller, and I think that's a good thing. I think that ultimately this leads to less divisiveness, less boundaries. When we start realizing um, that we are... are 
you know, just a part of all of this, that we are the thinking machines that can finally recognize and do something about the world that we live in, that we then have an obligation to recognize and do something about the world we live in. And that's why I have no plans uh, to stop, uh, no matter where in the world it happens to take me. All right. I, I'm much the same mind. I mean, I, I want people to be aware of their circumstances, be aware of their responsibilities, be aware of, of how the things that they do individually, if everyone else is doing them too, well, then there's going to be a certain impact and that people can change each other's minds and people do have an effect when they collectively try to accomplish things. And I, I see ourselves as being broadened and the earth getting smaller and just sets our priorities. Uh, it's a stunning thing to me when we have all of the collective sciences, for example, saying that we have a, environmental issues that are being caused by you know our factory pollutants and by you know use of aerosols and all of these other things. It very clearly is happening, and we know why this is happening. But there are people who want to deny that because they refuse to change what they do. They don't want to be responsible for anything. So they'll either say that it isn't happening, or they'll say that it's not man doing it. Because if it is man doing it, that means that we're responsible. And the whole purpose for religion is to deny your responsibility for anything. Thanks very much. And I'd just like to say thank you, especially for those lovely um, little educational videos, especially uh, for schools, um, the life science, what are, what are they called? Uh, yeah, living science lessons. Living science lessons. Um, they're beautiful and um, very useful. I've sent them on to lots of kids. So cheers. And thank you for all your work. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Very good. Yeah, yeah, Speaking good of um, <laughs> prominent atheists coming to New Zealand, there's oh, um, yes. uh, Peter Bogosian. Yes, who, that should have been in the notice um, board. He's coming to Auckland in, uh, on the 22nd of July, and um, he's quite a prominent atheist and has written a book um, called A Manual for Creating Atheists. So um, that could be a very interesting talk. 6 p.m. at um, Auckland University. Um, Wednesday, 22nd of July at 6pm, room B3, ONG, Glen Building, Auckland, University, Auckland. What was the date, sir? I wasn't listening. 22nd of July, 22nd of Wednesday, July. Oh, that's 6 heaps of time, so you'll be able yeah. to uh, go to that. <laughs> I'll probably have done it by then. Right. <laughs> this will be uploaded. And... But no, that could be a very interesting talk. No. Cats? No. Shh. Oh, are they fighting? Right. Anyway. I just them off. <laughs> so, okay, carry mode, on. moving on to the word of the day. The word of the day is there for you in the agenda. I haven't tried pronouncing this yet, so I'm going to get it. Sacrificus. Sacrificus. No, right, yeah. Sacrificus. Okay. I want you to note the way it's spelt because there's a slightly different well, word. So saccharin is to do with sugary sweetness. Yeah. Oh. I mean, what? Is that your final answer? Well, no. that seems the obvious thing is that it's got something yeah, to do with something... that. Something to do with... Um, well, certainly something to do with sugar. Sugar, anyway. yeah. Okay, so that's what your, uh, your answer is. So the, well, so okay, let's I, get more precise then. So I would say that sugar. it's something something bad to do I with see, sugar. See, see where you're going. Yeah. See. Um. Well, I would just be containing. <clears throat> containing sugar. Containing or made up of. Oh. You wish she hadn't said that. 
because that is the right answer. <laughs> it is bearing sugar. Thank you. Saccharophorus means it has sugar in it. Thank you. Uh, it was about I, time I, think, I, got I think I would still get half a point. Surely. I would have given you both a point because you were really, really close. I, I need the points. You really do. <laughs> I don't know. I do you? I'm so far behind. Yeah, okay. yeah no, I'm doing pretty bad. So I'll give Susie the point for that. And Thank you. Uh, definitely half a point to me. A quarter. <sighs> well... No, I suppose that's fair. That is the rules. That's the way I've been doing it. I'll give you a half point, Craig, and Susie gets a point. And I don't get a point. Boo. Hmm. So that was quite an easy one. Yeah, well, I think, I, think, I think they're all easy, but you guys are all like, Ooh, <laughs> Yeah, because you're looking at so the answer. <laughs> come on, let's And go the on last it. thing anyway, is, Craig, wrap us up with a quote. I have a very interesting quote. It is. <laughs> the trouble with quotes on the internet is that you can never know if they are genuine. And that was written by Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> or said by Abraham Lincoln. We don't know. Um, okay. And that's our episode for the day. Um, you've been listening to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. If you'd like to send us a message or feedback, check out our Facebook page or the contact us form on our website, thecusp.org.nz. <laughs>